In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him and accept him, he gave the right to become children of God. And they are reborn, and not, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And Paul writes, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In his first letter, John writes, that which was from the beginning, uh, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, uh, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. And we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we humbly, joyfully, expectantly, gratefully come into your presence. God, there's no one like you. Nothing compares to you. Father, you are before all things. You are over all things. And in you, all things hold together. Father, I pray that this morning that we will see Jesus, that you'll help us see Jesus in a clearer way, God, that we'll draw closer to him. Father, I pray that, that you would give us eyes to see and that you would give us ears to hear. And, and Father, I pray that somehow you would enable me to speak your truth in a way that does not distract, Lord, but that points people to you and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, it is so good to be back home. Uh, but I got to tell you, I had an amazing time at the North American Christian Convention in Louisville, Kentucky with the staff. I mean, it was some of the best teaching I have ever heard, seriously. And, and uh, the theme of the week was victorious, the message of revelation. If you grab some Grove notes on the way out, um, uh, there's a link on there online. You can watch every main session from now until August the 12th. I even put the order that I think you need to listen to. You know, listen to this message. Listen to this message. Got to hear these four. They are incredible. Guaranteed, you will be blessed if you listen to those teachings. And, and last week, uh, I was in Dallas, Texas, visiting my mom and, and brother. 
I flew out with Meili and Gentau. That's always fun. I've never done that before with my two kids. It was by myself. It was good. Uh, I got to see George W.'s um, library. Pretty awesome place. Um, I got to go to downtown Fort Worth and, and watch some Longhorns be driven down the street of, of the stockyard down there. And, and while there, Gentau even got the ride on top of a Longhorn. There Gentau is. It cost me five bucks, you know. I try to say, will you, can I get both kids for five bucks? He says, no, five apiece. And Maylee didn't want to do it. Oh, come on, May. Oh, that's okay. You don't have to, dear. It'll be all right. Now, on July 14th, I was still in town, but I, I attended a couple local uh, Charlottesville churches, and they were okay, but they were most definitely not the Grove. <laughs> Seriously. I, I, I'm being for real there. It's like, you know, because I, I I really like what God is beginning to do in and through us, his people at 3210 Prophet Road. Now, from what I hear, though, a lot happened uh, since I was gone. I mean, after thousands of years, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was born. Um, he began his ministry after 21 weeks in the Old Testament or time in the New Testament has begun. Great stuff. And also know that you got there some great teaching um, from Max Lakata or Lakata, Tomato or Tomata, whatever you want to say. But Max is smooth and great. And, and also from Phil Fincher from uh, uh, Savannah Christian Church. Uh, and, and I love technology. It allows me to introduce you guys when I'm gone sometimes to some great teaching that is out there. But like I said in my family email, if you got it, I uh, got some bad news. There's no video this week. You just got, got me up here and you just got to deal with it. And, and uh, I'm glad to be here. Now, I, I'm sure most of you know that something very significant happened this past week. I, I mean, it, it was all over the internet, all over the news. It was on magazine covers. There have been millions of tweets about it. In fact, at one time, this VSE, this very significant event, was averaging 25,000 tweets a minute. Anybody know what this very significant event was? Boom. There you go. The birth of Prince George Lewis of Cambridge. Now, now also, went online, I try to find, okay, what are some funny tweets about the royal birth? And there's a bunch of them out there. And I, I want to show you the tweets that make my cut. And the rank in the order of, you know, the number of retweets they got. Here's coming in number seven, lovely. Real baby boy presented to the public in traditional manner. You know, there's, you know, I don't know if Rafiki was booked or not, but he was willing to do that. 236 retweets. Number six, this is Britain's chance to outshine the U.S. by not naming the royal baby after a fruit, a plant, or a direction. I like that. You know, you know, Kim Kardashian, you know, and, you know Northwest or baby. Okay, here's number five. Listen to me carefully. There's only one true prince, and he's from Minneapolis, wears purple, and shows us how to be sexy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, that, that, you know, that uh, 670 retweets. Number four, Prince William's heir is falling out. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming in third with uh, almost 1,200 retweets. My marriage is in shambles. I have a six-figure medical debt, but this royal baby is giving me newfound sense of hope and wonder. <laughs> Number two, Kate Middleton, one, Anne Boleyn, zero. <laughs> That's bad, but she never could give old Henry a baby, could she? And coming in at number one, I had a royal baby once, much more low-key, no reporters, no hospital, no hospital at the tweet of God. All right, so God God said, hey, I've been here before. That's 6,000 retweets. Now, about 2.6 billion other babies were born last week. 
But none of them got the press that Prince George did. And, and why is that? Because the other babies, they weren't royal. They, they, they weren't born to famous parents because they were just ordinary. And, and in a culture obsessed with that which does not seem ordinary, that's obsessed with the celebrity, ordinary simply doesn't cut it. Yeah, we live in a celebrity-obsessed culture. There's actually a psychological syndrome I found out this week called, you know, celebrity worship syndrome. And if you don't believe me, it's out there. Just walk through the checkout line at any grocery store, right? That's all the proof you need. Uh, TV stars, movie stars, sports stars, music stars, even political stars are the ones in the limelight. And, and I have a brief celebrity quiz for I, I went to Walgreens, was looking at a Publix to see, a Publix, look at a People magazine. There were out of them, so I went on the internet found some pictures in this week's People uh, about some famous celebrities. Maybe you recognize them. Anybody know who this is? She's married to some guy named Justin, Jessica Beale, and she's doing something pretty incredible. She is pushing a cart of groceries, all right? Number two, recognize this guy? Usher. He's walking down the street and pointing his finger. Pretty amazing, okay? Number two, anybody know this lady? Jane Lynch, she's, in, she's walking her dog, right? Awesome. Next guy's about to do something really incredible. That's Prince Harry. He's getting out of a car. Woo! All right. Next guy, Orlando Bloom, another guy walking. Just got off his motorcycle. And this lady here is Jessica Simpson, her first time out after her last birth. And one more, Jason. Jay-Z and Beyonce, he's surprising her stage. A husband is about to give his wife a kiss. Question. Do you know what we will find when we take a closer look at Prince George of Cambridge? We'll find that, you know what, he's not really all that different from the 2.6 million babies that were born last week. I mean, guess what? You know, little George's mom and dad are going to have to feed him. They're going to have to clothe him. He's going to cry. And when little George takes a, goes poop in his diapers, guess what? It's going to smell just as bad as the other 2.6 million babies out there. <laughs> yeah, his poop still stinks. And guys, it's the same way for every celebrity out there. A closer look always reveals that they're really just people, ordinary people who have good days and bad days, who have problems and struggles, people who walk their dogs, kiss their wives, give birth, walk down the street, get out of their car, and go and buy groceries. Now, you may be wondering, okay, Steve, where in the world are you going with this? Just hang in there. I will connect the dots, I think, hopefully, maybe. You see, since January 13th, we, we've been on this journey called the story. It's a journey through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, it's a journey through the most incredible and compelling story of all time, God's story. Uh, the story of a righteous, holy, all-knowing, all-powerful, always-existing God's passionate pursuit of a prodigal people. Question, are you glad that the God that we worship and serve is a God who pursues prodigal people like you and I passionately, are you? That's pretty weak. It's pretty weak. Are you glad that the God we serve is a God that pursues people like you and I, prodigal people, passionately? Man, I sure, wow, you guys, you're still not going home that early, all right? 
And, and this week we're in chapter 24 of the story. It, it, the title is No Ordinary Man. It's our third week in the New Testament. It's our third week talking about Jesus. And if you read chapter 24 this week, you know that it is absolutely jam-packed with incredible stuff. On, on Tuesday morning, I, I grabbed my coffee cup, I, I grabbed my copy of the story, and, and I sat down against this big rock here, which, by the way, is here for a reason. And we don't always talk about the reason, but on October of 2010, we brought this rock in here when I, I preached a sermon about the cornerstone, and I said that you know, Jesus is the cornerstone of Maple Grove, that Jesus determines the direction and the angle of our church, that Jesus determines what we do and what we don't do, where we go and where we don't go, what we say and what we don't say. So I sat over there and, 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 I, and I read it, because even though I read it before, it was like, I don't feel I got the full impact of it. And I sat there, I got on my stopwatch, it took me 26 minutes and 26 seconds to read it. And when I was done, I was like, wow. That is a lot, a lot, a lot of great stuff. And listen, one thing was really evident as I read those chapters. And in fact, one thing is evident anytime you and I take a closer look at Jesus, it's this, that he is most definitely not an ordinary man. I understand Jesus, he isn't even extraordinary. I mean, Jesus, he's in a league of his own. There's never been anyone, nor will there ever be anybody like Jesus. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He was present at and before creation. Jesus put on flesh and, and he walked among us. Je Jesus lived a, a, a world-changing life. Jesus died a cruel, agonizing death. And Jesus rose from the grave and changed the world forever. And I get to talk and hang out with him every single day. And listen, what I want to do in the next few minutes is to take a closer look at Jesus. Uh, but bottom line, I, I want to take some time to remind us why Jesus is different, so much different from anyone that has ever taken a breath on this planet. You see, a closer look at Jesus will not move you and I to say, hey, he's just like me. He walks his dog, he buys groceries, he gets out of the car. Instead, a closer look at Jesus will cause our knees to bend and our tongue to confess that Jesus Christ, that he's Lord, that he's awesome, and that there's nobody like Jesus anywhere, anytime. Amen. And understand if we meet him, if we meet Jesus, he won't just mark and affect our lives for a few days, he'll change our lives forever and we'll never be the same again. And for those of you who are new to Christianity or exploring your faith journey and, and what faith in Jesus looks like, I know that I can't make you love Jesus today, but what I would like to do today is try to set up the first date. You see, this morning, we're going to take a closer look at Jesus. Now, this guy who walked the earth 33 years ago, and he was far from ordinary. The first point of your notes is Jesus was no ordinary teacher. He just wasn't. He was informative. He was challenging. He was mesmerizing. He was compelling. He was so different than anything that people ever heard. And people, huge crowds flocked to hear him. I, I always loved that, that picture that John paints in, in John chapter 7. The chief priests sent some temple guards out to arrest Jesus. Well, eventually come back and guess what? They, they got no Jesus. They didn't get him. And they go... 
Here's what they say to him. Why, why didn't you bring him in? The reply, no one ever spoke the way this man does. No one ever spoke like Jesus. And listen, there are at least three things about Jesus' teaching that were definitely not ordinary. N- number one, how he taught. Jesus taught in parables. He taught with authority, and, and he taught with humor. Now, we can miss the humor, right? Sometimes, well, Jesus said nothing funny. Well, back in that culture, one of the ways they really expressed humor was exaggeration, hyperbole. And we read this week where Jesus said, you know, I mean, imagine if you had a speck in your eye. I have a pair of tweezers, but I got a telephone pole in my eye. And I'm saying, hey, let me help you get that, you know, exaggeration. Jesus, he, he, he spoke with authority, he spoke in parables. And, and you know what? The people were amazed. M- Mark put it this way. Check this out. The people were so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching? And with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. He taught in parables. He told stories that people could relate to. Stories, he would use stories to hook them and to reel them in. And once he got them in, got them close, boom, he would hit them with a powerful, transforming truth. I mean, he told stories that you and I still remember today. This week in chapter 24, you know, we read a bunch of those stories. Jesus said this, one of his first stories. A farmer went out to sow a seed. And immediately images began to flash in their minds. Maybe Jesus even pointed to the, the farmer on the hillside. And the seed, Jesus said, the seed is the word of God. And he said, the soil is, is our hearts. And they want to say that, that, that there's four types of soil, four types of hearts. And maybe there's four types of hearts in the room today, right? He says, you know, some, some, some are hard on the path that, that, and the seed falls on it. It's not going to penetrate. Uh, uh, other seed falls on a rocky soil and it doesn't have much root and it pops up, but boom, it's gone as soon as the heat comes on it. And, and others, are, are, seed is sown among thorns and weeds and the weeds and distractions just choke it out, but other is on the good soil. Uh, I wonder what kind of soil are we this morning? And then he says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day. Whether, the, whether he sleeps or not, the seed grows. It's like the farmer puts it in. If he's awake or asleep, if he's in town or out of town, no matter, he doesn't know what's happening, but the seed seems to grow. He says the kingdom, you know, he says it's like this mustard seed. It's not that impressive. It's really small, but when it begins to grow, it becomes one of the largest plants. And then we read those incredible stories he told. Our story, my story, your story. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. The story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son telling you and I that no matter what the world says, God says, you know what, you matter to me, you're valuable to me, and when you're lost, I'm going to go find you. And when you come back home, no matter how far you roam the way, I will not beat you up, but I will rejoice that you finally came home. And then he said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And Jesus taught you and I what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. Jesus was no ordinary teacher. The people were all so amazed. And they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching? And with authority, even gives orders to impure spirits and obey him. And another not ordinary thing about Jesus' teaching was what he taught. Understand, Maple Grove, Jesus taught some crazy inverted stuff. Jesus taught that the way up is down. Uh, The way first is last. 
Jesus taught that the way of success is being a servant to all people. Jesus taught that the way of attainment is relinquishment, letting things go. Uh, Jesus taught that that the way to touch God is to to hang out with the least of these. Jesus taught that the way of strength is weakness, that the way to deal with your mistakes is not to hide and conceal them, but to admit and confess them. Jesus taught that the way to overcome hurt is forgiveness. Jesus taught that the way of life is death, death to self, death to wants, death to desires. Jesus taught that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Jesus taught that the way to to be exalted is to humble ourselves. Want to be great? Become the least. Want to find yourself? Forget yourself. Want honor? Think of others more than you think of yourself. Want to get even with your enemies? Then love them, pray for them, and bless them. Yes, the things that Jesus taught, they were crazy, they were insane, they were inverted. And Jesus also taught, he taught the value of every person. He taught that every person, regardless of where they fell on the economic or social ladder, was of equal worth before God. And understand, in the culture where Jesus walked, this was not the prevailing view, and this was not the politically correct view. In fact, check out what Aristotle said. For that some should rule and others be ruled is a thing not only necessary, but expedient. From the hour of birth, there are some marked for subjection, others for rule. But listen, it it was the people who were at the bottom of the ladder that Jesus constantly and intentionally lifted up. Saying that these people, saying that the widow, that, that the leper, that the sick, that the disease, saying that the least of these, that they have equal worth and value before God, and if they have e- equal worth and valuable for God, they should be valuable and worthy to us. Now understand, in a culture that saw children as having little or no value and completely disposable, You see, in the culture that Jesus was, if someone had a child, it it maybe wasn't the right gender, or maybe they wanted a boy and got a girl, or the baby was deformed, they would take that child outside the city and dump it and leave it to die. It was a practice in Romans called exposure. Because they were just children, they have no value. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. And, 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 And you know... And you know what happened in Matthew 18 just had to blow their minds. We read this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Is it the Pharisees? I mean, they're pretty good. They're, they're, so it's pretty good religious leaders. Is it the teachers of the law? Is it the great preachers and orators? He called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like this little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such, whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. And, and now Jesus not only didn't put children down, but he told you and I to become like them. And Jesus also lifted up the value of women. It, the longest recorded conversation Jesus had in the Gospels was with the woman at the well. And Jesus says, you know, I, I know you, I, I know you're a woman, I know you're a Samaritan, I, I know that life has been hard for you, I am the Messiah, I am what you're looking for. Jesus allowed women to be 
his disciples. He allowed women like Martha's sister Mary to sit at his feet and be his disciple. Unheard of in that culture for women. And women were the ones with Jesus at the cross. And God chose women to be the ones to receive the announcement that Christ is not dead, but has risen. See, Jesus taught the worth and value of every person. One of his guys named Paul wrote this. See, see, we think it makes sense, right? Well, this was radical to the first century. Nobody talked like this. And as some of our ladies found out in India and other cultures, it's still this way with women, right? But here's what he said. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave or free, nor there's a male and female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If Jesus taught, he taught crazy inverted stuff. He lifted the value, taught the value of every person, and he talked about the kingdom. And in fact, it, it was his favorite topic. He talked about the kingdom more than he talked about faith and love. And it makes sense because that's what he came to establish. And in our reading this week, we got to read Jesus' longest discussion on the kingdom. It, 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 it's found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And Jesus says, your kingdom, it's at hand. And that word means that, that it's within reach. Well, within reach of who? Within reach of everybody. And everybody means just everybody, especially for those who look and feel furthest away. It's in reach for the poor in spirit. It's in reach of those who mourn. It's in reach of the persecuted. It's in reach for those who thirst for things to be right. It's in reach of those who are trying to make peace, but there just doesn't seem to be any peace. And in this kingdom, Jesus will empower people through his Holy Spirit to live a different kind of life. A life that even if you're not sure about this Jesus thing, still seems like a pretty good place to live. See, the life that is within reach of God's people is a place where people don't compete, they serve. It's a place where people don't hate, they love. It's a place where people don't look out for number one, they look out for each other. It's a place where, where people don't use their tongue to turn people down, but they use their tongue to build people up. It, it's a place where people don't hold grudges, they, they forgive. It's, it's a place where people don't point fingers, they lend hands. It, it's a place where people don't wait for others to serve them, but they serve others. It, it's a place where people don't hate their enemies, but they love and pray for their enemies. It, it, it's a place where, where people don't worry about things. They don't worry about what they're going to eat. They don't worry about what they're going to drink. They don't worry about anything because they seek first the kingdom and they trust their Father to provide everything for them. It, it, it's a place where, where people are doing things for other people that and all the things they want other people to do for them, they jump out and do them for other people first. Maple Grove, Jesus Christ was no ordinary teacher, how he taught, what he taught. And the third thing, not ordinary about his teaching was he actually lived what he taught. Now, I, I want to read the foreword to a great book by John Orberg. If John Orberg writes it, I read it. And the uh, book's called, Who is This Man? The Unpredictable Impact of the Inescapable Jesus. And the foreword was written by Condoleezza Rice, who attends his church now. Here, here's what she wrote. Christ did not just say these things, he lived them. He dined with sinners, outcasts, touched the unclean, recruited women into ministry, 
revealed himself after the resurrection to these second-class citizens and chastised hypocrites who piously kept the letter of the law but cared little for their brethren. In the end, he would refuse to save himself from death on the cross in order to fulfill the promise of the resurrection and in so doing save mankind. Those who followed him would begin to act as if every life is worthy. The community of people called Christians would minister to the sick and disabled and build hospitals, pursue universal education, spread teaching through universities, and lift up the poor and faraway places for they would inherit the earth. Acceptance of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a pathway to an easy life, but a call to do hard things if we are to live in the image of our Lord. Love my enemies, give my riches to the poor, take up my cross, die so that I might live. You see, Jesus was a teacher who actually lived out what he was teaching. You, you see, the one who said the greatest is the one who serves, washed the feet of his disciples, right? Uh, the, the one who said, you know what, we're to seek God's kingdom, God's will first, sought God's will in the garden, not his own as he prayed. Uh, the one who told you and I, turn the other cheek and forgive people, forgave the very ones who were driving six-inch spikes through his body. Jesus was a teacher who lived out what he taught. Yeah, yeah, when we take a closer look at Jesus, we find out, hey, this guy is not ordinary. He is not ordinary at all. Next point you know, Jesus was no ordinary king. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off the pilot, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar. He claims the Messiah king. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is, as you say. And now God's people, they knew about kings, right? I mean, they had a few of their own, right? They had Saul, they had David, they had Solomon, about 30 or so others, some good, some bad. Many times they were ruled by foreign kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Caesar, Augustus. And for the most part, all those kings were about their power, about their position, about taking, using their people for their own personal benefit. But Jesus was no ordinary king. Understand, Jesus did not surround himself with the rich and powerful, but rather with the poor, the sick, the leper, the sinner, the tax collector, and the outcast. No king would do that, but Jesus did. Jesus washed the dirty feet of his disciples, even the feet of the one who betrayed him. Jesus the king came not to be served, but to serve. No king would do that, but Jesus did. Jesus did not live in a beautiful palace surrounded by all the comforts and luxuries of royalty. In fact, he himself said, I don't even have a place to lay my head. No king would do that, but Jesus did. Jesus did not live and reign promoting himself, but rather he continually emptied himself. No king would do that, but Jesus did. Uh, Jesus did not live for the praise of men or the applause of people. In fact, when Jesus' poll numbers were up and his approval ratings were off the charts and everybody wanted to make him king, he left the crowd and went into the mountains to be by himself. No king would do that, but Jesus did. Jesus did not spend time in a castle high up on a hill with the moat dug and the drawbridge closed, separated by the people. Instead, King Jesus filled the moat with concrete. He welded the drawbridge open and walked and lived among his people. No king would do that, but Jesus did. Jesus, though he had all power, though, though he had legions of, of angels at his command, and though he could call those angels to protect them, to even protect them on the cross, Jesus did not use that power to protect himself. No king would do that, but Jesus did. 
Understand, Jesus did not send his soldiers to the battlefield as he watched from the safety of the hillside. Instead, King Jesus fought the battle himself at a hill called Calvary. No king would do that, but Jesus did. And here's the bottom line. Let me sum this up for you. Jesus, the true king, Jesus, the king of kings, is not a king who takes, but rather a king who gives and gives and gives. Jesus is a king who used his power and position to win our freedom. Yeah. A closer look at Jesus reveals that he is not like us. He's not simply a guy who walks his dog, pushes a grocery cart, and gets out of a car. Instead, it reveals that he's not ordinary. It reveals that there's no one like Jesus, never has been. He's not an ordinary teacher. He's not an ordinary king. And he's not an ordinary man. I mean, we saw this week that Jesus did things that nobody could do. This week we saw Jesus calm a violent storm. Middle of the Sea of Galilee, the winds whip, whipping down. The, the water's coming over the boat. Jesus is asleep on the cushion, taking a nap. The disciples are freaking out. They're seasoned fishermen. Jesus, don't you care that I'm drowning? I, I felt that way before. And Jesus gets up, rebukes the wind, and instantly both the wind stops and the waves like glass. Now, I, I've lived in Florida. I've seen the wind kick up in hurricanes. You know, the wind can stop, but it takes a while for the... Wait, settle down, but not with Jesus. We saw Jesus cast a legion of demons out of a guy. I mean, nothing could control. No one could help this guy, but Jesus could. We saw Jesus walking through a crowd and this woman for, for 12 years, nothing's working. She can't get better. Spend all her money on her doctor. She's still sick. And she just touches Jesus and he doesn't even know it. He says, I felt power come out of me. And that woman was healed. We saw Jesus go into the bedroom of a 12-year-old girl and raise her from the dead. We saw Jesus take a, a, a Lunchable from Kroger and, and, and feed 5,000 people plus men, women, and children. You see, the miracles of Jesus are proof of both his power and his position. Number one, proof of his power. You see, Jesus has the power to bring peace to any storm. Now, sometimes it's still stormy, right? But you have peace. Jesus has the power, I'm serious, to overcome anything that has bound you and held you back. He has the power, right? No one could control that guy, right? They chained him up. He broke the chains. Jesus can. Jesus has power over sickness and death. Jesus has the power to multiply what we give him, thereby overcoming the odds that seem against us, right? Hey, I, I, all I got is this. That's enough. If you give it to me, that's enough. Anything we give to Jesus is enough. His miracle proves his power and his position. Do you remember the, the parable? Do you remember the story in, in Luke 2? You know, a bunch of friends, Mark 2, a bunch of friends are lowering uh, their buddy through the roof. He's paralyzed. He can't walk. And he falls right in front of Jesus. And Jesus' first words to him are, son, your sins are forgiven. And I can be honest, I'd be thinking, I was looking for something else. <laughs> I'll look in the walk here. And... and, and, and the Jewish leaders are here and they go, hey, man, he can't do this. He's not God. Only God can. And here's what we read. Why are you thinking these things? See, Jesus can get in your head, can he? Which is easier to say this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. 
This amazed everyone. They praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Understand his miracles prove his power that he can do anything. And it proves his position that he can forgive us of our sins. Yeah, like I said, a closer look at Jesus always reveals that he is not ordinary. And so, by the way, that does a a closer look at history. I always love this from John Schaaf, who wrote this about Jesus. Uh, This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Uh, Without science and learning, he shed more light on matters human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Uh, Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of orator poet without writing a single line. He set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than a whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. No, Jesus is most definitely not an ordinary man. Would you agree? And listen, because he's not an ordinary man, we see him make a very not ordinary demand in the final pages of chapter 24 of the story. It's John 6. The scene takes place there after the feeding of the 5,000, and a huge crowd has followed Jesus to the other side of the lake, and they're basically coming to Jesus because they want to see what Jesus could do for them. I mean, that, like that free meal thing was pretty good, and they're like, hey, hey Jesus, could you like maybe do that every day? And then I wouldn't have to go to Kroger or Walmart anymore, and I wouldn't have to look for coupons. Could you, like, maybe, like, do that every day, give me my food? And could you, like, Jesus, could you, like, maybe, maybe, could you give me a car and a nicer house? And, you know, could you give me a, a relationship? Jesus, what can you do for me? Well, eventually, Jesus began to steer the conversation toward the fact that he is the bread of life. We read this, and Jesus declared, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, no more Kroger. That's what I'm talking about, Jesus. No more Kroger. That's it. Not a hungry and thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. And then after a little more discussion, Jesus makes a very not ordinary demand of them. Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And that word eternal is not just talking about length of life, also quality of life. That's why eternal life for us as believers has already begun. It just gets better and better from here. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa Jesus, whoa, whoa. I, I just wanted to get a Kroger card, okay? I, 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 I just didn't want to buy groceries anymore. I just kind of wanted you to do some things for me. And uh, well, I, that. Now, we know he's not talking about cannibalism, right? He's, here's what he's basically saying to them and to us. You're looking to Jesus for Kroger gift cards and such. He says, unless you take my person, my teaching, my words into your life at the deepest level, unless you digest them and make them a part of your life, you know, I, I, unless, they, unless I become a part of you, 
uh, unless you take them in and live them out, it just isn't going to work. It, it, you will never experience the life I have for you. Bottom line, Jesus saying, you can't just date me. You can't just move in with me. You got to marry me. He says, I'm the bread of life, and, and you just can't look at the bread. You can't just hold the bread. You just can't take the bread and put it into your mouth, but you got to chew the bread. You have to digest the bread so the bread, my teaching, and my person, my purposes become a part of who you are. And that's a pretty tough demand. But again, we're talking about a not ordinary person. You know, we're talking about a guy who can forgive your sins. We're talking about a guy who has the power to do anything, who has the position to forgive your sins. We're talking about a guy who can calm your storms. We're talking about a guy who can enable you to live the life you've always wanted to live. We're talking about a guy who's punched your ticket, has his hammer, and is coming back one day to take you to heaven. And if I may be so bold to say, and I guess I'm saying it, you know, it, it and I'm, I'm speaking to me too, right? You know, if, if this Jesus thing, this church thing you've been doing for a while isn't just quite working, it's like, hey, where is this peace beyond understanding? Where is this joy in spite of circumstances? Yeah, where is it? I, I'm not... I'm like, where is this life that's really life? Perhaps maybe it could be that you're not eating his flesh and drinking his blood. You see, Jesus, like, hey, it's, it's, it's all of me or nothing. You know, but yet, I can give you everything. Tough teaching, right? It's, it's hard to take. Check this out. Here's what happened. From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus, you know, I, Jesus, I... I I wanted that fire insurance. You know, I wanted what you would do for me, and, and you're asking too much. And then you see Jesus, he turns to the 12. And maybe turns to us this morning, right? He's like, hey, you can leave too? Are you going to go? And Peter says this, I love it. Lord, whom shall we go? Now, we are going places, aren't we? Right? I mean, we're going. Who to shall we go? Well, I'm going to go to my career. I'm going to go to money. I'm going to go to pleasure. I'm going to go to possessions. I'm going to go to the next thing. I'm going to go to worldly success. We go a lot of places, right? But Peter said, I ain't going there. Lord, who shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, quantity and quality. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Yeah. Today is my goal that we would develop a Jesus worship syndrome because a closer look to him will never disappoint. No matter how much we think we know him, there's always more and more and more. Father God, we humbly bow our hearts and minds and, 
And we know, as we saw in Scripture in Mark 2, you know, you know what we're thinking right now. And Lord, you promised us that you are the bread of life and that whoever comes to you will never be hungry or thirsty. And God, some of us, some in this room, we're just so tired of being hungry and thirsty. And so many things we go to for eternal life, just for life, haven't worked. And Father God, I pray today, Lord, that you would just move all of us, Lord, to take more of you into our lives. God, we praise you for who you are. And God, we surrender our hearts to you, Lord. Father, I I pray for those who have on the fence and one foot in, one foot out, that the day they'll go both feet in and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I stand and sing.